0: Out. So we uh, we are continuing our study in James this morning, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Um, Preston came in this morning and said, James, making you feel bad since 34 AD. Um, <laughs> uh, and that's, you know, some of that depends on the attitude you come to it with, um, but there is definitely a lot of truth uh, in James, and, and he doesn't play around with it too much. Uh, I saw an ad this week watching uh, football from e Trade. It kind of goes with our, uh, can we get that ad up from the E-Trade ad? Yeah. First class is there to remind you that you're not in first class. <laughs> uh, kind of goes along with, um, with what we've been, uh, with what we just read in James chapter two. And then the next uh, slide is a picture that I took the last time Jenny and I were in Boston. Uh, this is a colonial era church in Boston. You'll notice that the, there's a balcony area. I tried to, I tried to get as much in this picture as I could. There's a balcony area up top on the left, and then at the bottom, those are are the pews, and then you've got the rectory uh, up front and elevated. Uh, Some of that's for acoustics. Some of that is is so that folks who are sitting at all places in the church could see who's delivering uh, the message for the day, and then you've got your, your altar at the bottom Uh, this is an Anglican church or started out as an Anglican church in in Boston. It's now basically just a historical location. They do have some church services in there. You'll notice that the pews are boxed in. See how all the pews on the left have doors? And you have to open those doors to go in and sit down in the pews. Those those were for two reasons. Uh, One of the primary reasons was they didn't have any heat. So, Uh, They used uh, different methods to try to heat the building. They would use boilers, but mostly they would heat up bricks super hot, bring them in on the day of church, put them inside these boxes of pews, and then folks would sit down and put blankets over their laps, and it would keep their feet and legs warm as they listened to the message and tried not to freeze to death with those stone floors. The uh, The other reason for doing this was for fundraising for the church. You had to rent these. So, if you were a person of means and attended this church, you could rent your box and have your heated box uh, and sit where you wanted to. We think Baptists are bad about picking seats. Um, these folks, you could sit the same place every Sunday because you rented your you rented your box in the church, and only the people that could afford to do that would sit there. Others would sit up in the balcony area where there was no boxes and no heat or in the very back of the church where you had a traditional pews and or chairs. Now, on the right-hand sides of the church, what you can't see are also some enclosed boxes with floor-to-ceiling, sort of like this pipe and drape, floor-to-ceiling curtains that go around all three, or three sides of the box and left the front open. And then they had throne-like chairs sitting in there, and those boxes were for the dignitaries. So if you were an important person or a really important person in Boston or in colonial United States and you attended this church, they would put you in the dignitary's box and then you had these super thick drape-like curtains that, like we have here that would really keep the heat inside of your box and then you were elevated above the audience so that everybody could see how important you were in church. This is 1600s, 1700s. Um, really no different. You'll notice in James chapter 2... That the problem that James is addressing in the church less than 100 years after Jesus was born is the same problem we have today. There were people in the church who treated people differently based on their wealth or the way they looked. So we're talking about that this morning. Um, It's going to be fun. Uh, We would expect, right, we would expect the world to be impressed by pedigrees, I mean, that's something we come to understand, connections and image are everything. All you have to do is watch advertising. Uh, We have marketing folks uh, here. The way we manage our advertising, the way we manipulate advertising, uh, it's intended to, to make people desire to have something they do not have. And so by getting that thing, I can gain status or I can gain importance that I don't have. And there's Marketing is targeted not just to adults and not just to teens or not just to preteens. It is targeted all the way down to babies. By four years old in the United States of America, most children can tell you brand names and that they want that brand. All right, if, if you don't believe that, try going in the grocery store to the cereal aisle with a four or five-year-old. And you can point down, and, and they put these on the bottom shelf in the bags like it's garbage. Uh, point down to the bag of things that look like Fruit Loops tastes like fruit loops same nutritional values fruit loops pick that bag up and go hey little johnny would you like to get these those aren't fruit loops fruit loops are right there why cuz i saw the fruit loop commercial these things in this plastic bag on the bottom that are identical to the <laughs> fruit loops i don't want that cuz i have brand recognition as a 5 year old because that's what our culture does if you throw in the right brands and an attractive face politically correct lingo then you've got something or someone you can believe in. Our cultural values value the upwardly mobile. They value the people in our society that look the part. Our culture teaches us that some people are better than others. It's a simple fact. I don't think we can really deny that this morning. Status, education, rank, position, all of those things impress they impress everybody but God. And James reminds us of that, in the first part of James chapter 2. I want to look at sort of three discussion points this morning. One is the influence of culture on our beliefs and our behaviors, the second is the reality of creation, meaning creation of us, and the impact of the gospel on us, and then the need for godly reform in our hearts in regard to these issues that James is talking about. So, point number one, our worldviews, our perspectives, and even our Christian walk have been influenced by our culture. We bring our culture into our Christian life. We bring it into our assemblies. We bring it into the way we worship. We bring it in the way we relate to other people as individuals and in groups. The message, which is a translation, uh, a very new age translation of the Bible, uh, translates the beginning of James 2 as this. My dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. I love that. Don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. That's what's happening in the Jerusalem church that James is writing the letter to here, and it's what happens today more than 2,000 years later. This word, how we approach somebody when someone comes into your assembly, the words that are used here refer to the receiving of face. The receiving of face. You've heard the term saving face. That means I'm protecting my image, right? Saving face has nothing to do with character, Saving face means I protect my image. I protect the image that I project to the world. In James 2, James is talking about how we approach people because of their, literally, their face. It came to refer to the attention that's given to someone based on their face, how attractive they are, how much wealth they have, what they're wearing. And then it developed into this idea of giving someone favor based on their status, their education, their race, their wealth, or their rank. And again, that's regardless of the merits of their character or of their personality. It is simply discrimination. We discriminate. We are prejudiced. That's who we are. The sooner we recognize that in ourselves, the sooner we can admit it to the Lord and ask Him to wash it out. Step one is admitting you have a problem. (laughs) So we want to be open about ourselves to God this morning and continuing that we have a problem. Our culture fools us into believing that something ugly is normal. And then we bring it in here. And then we spend most of our time reasoning and justifying our behaviors because that's what our culture teaches us to do. It doesn't have to make sense what I believe or what I hold to as long as I can reason it and justify it. Guys, that's what i do for a living. I can make anything sound justifiable. Seriously. You just twist some words around. You take some things out of context. You pull up some case law, and you take this sentence out, and you put that over here, and now it means something different. We do the same thing with God's Word. The church moves with its culture in lockstep. Do people who are in our world come in here and see something different? Generally, that's not the case Generally, you will see the same things occurring in the church that you see out in the world I'm not going to spew statistics But if you go look at the statistics of the behaviors that the church engages in the people who say i'm in christ Those statistics are identical to the statistics for people who do not know christ Divorce rates suicides violent crimes all identical Guys what are we doing if we're not different? James is writing this letter to the Jerusalem church. In Acts, 3,000 people come to Christ and start being involved in the first church, meaning they are spending time together. They are eating meals together. They are breaking bread together. They are Sharing the word of God and encouraging each other and worshiping together. Very shortly after that happens, 3,000 people get saved. That is a momentous day. 3,000 people get saved in America. I mean, we're talking about the new great awakening. That's revival. 3,000 people are saved, come to faith in Christ. Very shortly after, one of the first divisions rose in the church. You know what it was around? Who's more important? Who's more important? particularly around widows. People were a little upset that the Hebrew widows were being treated the same as the Greek widows. The Hebrew widows are clearly more important than the Greek widows, are they not? So this is a real problem that James, as an elder and one of the leaders of this church, the pastor of this church, had to deal with. Can you imagine that? People wonder why pastors... Struggle You imagine 3,000 people are saved And then the next week uh, Pastor James This is Betty Um, I just had a problem What's your problem? Uh, The Greek widows we're, We're giving them the same stuff We're giving the Hebrew widows They're more important Guys, this is prejudice at its core Discrimination At its core In the church the average church, even today, could probably begin their services. And I'm, I, guys, I grew up in a Baptist church, so we did this all the time. You know, you put somebody's over there playing nicely on the piano. And the pastor says, all right, everybody stand and shake hands. Stand, shake hands with at least two people who aren't in your clique. <laughs> that was my favorite. That was my favorite. The, the way the, the folks sat together at church, and then when they said shake hands, you just shake hands with the people who are sitting with you, and y'all are going to lunch after church. It's not you don't go across the aisle or walk up we did have we had one guy in our church His name was david williams and david would do laps around the church He would just go over and he's shaking everybody's hand. You know what? david's iq was 72 72 He loved everybody He didn't have no people The smart people were the ones sitting in the cliques David didn't care if you had a wad of money in your pocket or if you were broke. You know what? God doesn't care either. God says in James 2, remember, this is God talking, inspiring James to write this down. God says that favoritism, partiality, prejudice, and discrimination are evil. He didn't say to be discouraged. He didn't say not a great idea. He didn't say potentially hurtful to people's feelings. He said evil. In case you're wondering about whether or not evil just comes out of the translation Tashna read, I got four translations for you. They all say evil. You know why? Because the Greek word is evil. You know what the definition of evil is? Profoundly, significantly, overwhelmingly immoral, and malevolent. Malevolent means doing harm for the sake of harm. It's the Disney villain. Purple smoke and stuff profoundly immoral and malevolent. I guarantee you, if you identify the prejudices in your life and the way you show partiality, you've never thought of it as profoundly immoral and malevolent. God says it is. Let's look at our second point. The truth of God's creation and his gospel are radically different from the world's view on just about everything and Probably everything. It may be a hundred percent now. It might have been a hundred percent in 30 AD. I don't know. But all we do know is that if you read scripture and study it and make it part of who you are, you will come to understand that God's worldview is not our worldview. Look at Acts 10, 34 through 35. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. That's God's criteria. Doesn't have anything to do with nationality, creed, race, status, wealth, nothing. Ground is level, Acts ten thirty four, Genesis 5, 1 and 2 says, This is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. He created the, all human beings. He made them to be like himself. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them human. All of us. How many humans did God create at the beginning of creation? How many? Two. Does that mean, scientifically, Jenny, that all humans are descendant from those two? Every piece of the genetic code in, contained inside of your body that makes you human came from the genetic code of Adam and Eve. We're going to get nerdy this morning. <laughs> Nerdsville, Rob's so happy. Mitochondrial Eve. Yes, anybody in here, science geek? I'm a science geek. My wife is. Science, astoundingly announced. In 2010, that mitochondrial Eve, mitochondria is part of the genetic code, is part of the cell, that the mitochondrial Eve was the mother of all humans, and she lived about 200,000 years ago in northern Africa or in the Fertile Crescent, which is the Middle East. Where's the Garden of Eden? Ah, Middle East. Hmm, northern Africa. They get the date wrong, 200,000 years. That's just so we don't know. We're just guessing and playing with equations. But what this does say is that all humans currently living on the planet have the same mother. See, I told you David was my brother. Y'all don't see the family resemblance? <laughs> Looks just like me. It's all there. Why? Because the Bible says, in the beginning, God created you. Doesn't matter how different somebody looks, that genetic code originated with God's creation in Adam and Eve. We are the same. Classism, racism, favoritism, all of those things are completely illogical. If you don't believe that, go read the Human Genome Project. The guy that headed the Human Genome Project is a believer. Loves the Lord with all of his heart creationist not only is it illogical in regard to God's word but it's illogical in regard to secular biology people who do not know the Lord will tell you you come from the same lady and we don't know who she was God says exactly who she was her name was Eve and she was married to a guy named Adam and they were the first people why does our culture Perpetuate these myths for power, for standing, for control, and for increased self-worth. I feel bad about me because I don't have Jesus. And so I'm going to take a shot at you because if I can lower you below me, then I feel better about me. When Jesus is standing over here saying, I can make you feel the best That you'll ever feel eternally And that's by adopting me Taking me on But I can stand over here And reject Jesus And make Kyle feel bad about himself So I can feel better About myself Again God says that's evil But our culture perpetuates these things For control The gospel In case you haven't noticed is offensive to our culture And it offends Our culture it is counter to our culture. I call it swimming upstream. Not my term. I just use it. The gospel swims up current. It doesn't flow down the stream on an inner tube drinking by light. That's easy. The hard thing to do is to swim upstream against the current. And that's what the gospel does. Look at the sequence of the gospel. Romans 5, 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, and death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. Everyone. Exclusive term. John 3.16, we all know this one. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. There's that word again everyone. Galatians 3, 28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. And just to be clear, the Gentiles is everybody who's not a Jew. So we're still talking about everybody. Slave or free, male and female, rich and poor, black, white, yellow, red, orange, for you are all one in Christ. He bought it with his blood. He created you, He bought you back when you were stolen by sin. You belonged to him in the beginning. Have you ever had to go buy something back that you already owned? Anybody ever had anything stolen and turned into a pawn shop and you went and found it in the pawn shop or the police did and you had to give the pawn owner some more money? I've known a few people that have had to do that over time. You know how humiliating that is? You stole my bike. You went to the pawn shop, got some money for it and I had to go to the pawn store owner and buy my own bike back. That's what God did for you and for me. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says that God uses the weak to befuddle, to confuse, to frustrate the powerful. The weak, he elevates for the sole purpose of frustrating the powerful. Matthew 5, blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they. Blessed are the weak, blessed are the poor. Why? Because God sees them as the same. In fact, Jesus pursued the unattractive among us. He went after them. The people most of us would like to have in our church, dropping money in the offering plate and doing their thing, Jesus had the most problems with. The wealthy, the important, the smart, the religious leaders. But the woman at the well, the adulterous woman, the man sitting by the pool, waiting for some bread, waiting for some coins… Waiting for healing? Jesus not only loved them, he purposefully pursued the least among us. And then he said, whatever you have done to the least of these, you did it to me. So have fun at your parties with your rich friends and people who look like you and people who dress like you and people who watch the same TV shows as you. Go ahead and have fun with that. But whatever you do to the least of these, you did it as if you did it to me. Because I am the least. I was born in a stable, in hay, with animals. I never had a home. I was basically homeless once I left my parents' house. I promise you, if Jesus walked in here on a Sunday morning looking like he did then, we'd be like, make sure that guy gets checked out. Cory Cox would be following him. <laughs> and for good reason. Because he didn't look like us. Doesn't talk like us. Doesn't smell like us. The law of freedom that James is talking about here is love your neighbor as yourself. It's part of the great law. First is love God. Second is love your neighbor. That is the law of freedom he's talking about. And why wouldn't we not love our neighbors? Because they don't look like us. They don't talk like us. And they don't go to the same schools. They don't have the same education. They don't have the same boss. That's why we don't love our neighbors. But we're no better or worse than they are. We have the exact same creator. He paid the same price for them that he paid for us. We're born of the same mother. No, it's not Mother Earth. Her name is Eve. We bleed the same blood. My blood is just like yours. Might be a different kind. But I promise you there are people sitting in this room who have my same blood type. And if I was laying on this floor bleeding out and dying and I needed a transfusion, one of you could give it to me. And you don't look a thing like me. Genuine Christianity loves and cares for people that can't and don't earn our compassion. That's who we love if we are in Christ and we are genuine Christians. We love and care for people who can't do anything for us. They don't talk like us. They don't add anything to our resumes. They don't add anything to our portfolios. I'm telling you, one of the most offended I've ever been, and Jenny may remember this, I read an ad I subscribed to a couple of feeds from, um, like, Christian leadership type stuff. And on one of these feeds, there was an ad that came out for a church fundraising conference to be held in Charlotte. And it was a big regional thing. A lot of regional megachurch pastors were going to be there. One of the selling points, back to the marketing issue, one of the selling points for this conference was, we will teach you how to go after, talk to, and influence the high rollers In your church so that your church can increase its gross operating revenue that's a quote i have a photographic memory unfortunately i was absolutely infuriated absolutely infuriated but then i step back and go whoa whoa wait a minute am i doing that Am I spending more time with the people in my church who are buttoned up? Who put more money into offering plate? Hmm. That one hurts. Now I'm mad at me. Guys, we got to be different. Church is not a networking opportunity. (laughs) My law firm encouraged me to attend social and church-related functions to network. That's what the world thinks about church Church is a good place to go get around some people Who are probably good moral people And probably have some money And you can make some connections there I've had people leave my church To go to another church For more networking opportunities be around more people like me People I can hang out with And play golf with That's awesome Third point to eliminate the ugliness of favoritism and discrimination, our hearts have to change. It's, it's not about our behavior. It's about what's God doing in our hearts. Because favoritism and discrimination are the outward expressions of an inward problem. It's a problem with our hearts, not our heads. It's, it's three feet lower. It's in the core of who we are. When the Bible uses the term heart, it's talking about your core of your being— needs to change. I think one of the problems becomes, and I certainly suffer from this problem, God is our Father. And He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all all the wealth that we could ever imagine belongs to Him. And I started to act like a spoiled rich kid. Because my dad is God. And I expect certain things from Him. I expect my life to be easier I expect it to be neater. I expect it to be healthy. I expect it to be wealthy. Those are the things I expect from my father, God. And when I become spoiled and start acting like it, I start to push people aside. I start to put people in categories. I start to be like the priest in the New Testament that said, oh, dear Lord, thank you so much that I belong to you. And I'm not like this guy over here on his knees who's a tax collector and an idiot. That becomes me. Because I'm more concerned about who I am in God than I am about what Jesus has done. We are eaten up with pride and prejudice. We revel in our morality. Guys, morality is not what God is after. Ooh, newsflash. The creator of VeggieTales had a tremendous crisis of faith 15-ish years ago, he became burdened over the fact that the things that he had created were teaching moralism as opposed to Christ. He knew Christ, and he loved kids and wanted kids to come to know Christ. But if you watch VeggieTales, they don't necessarily lead you to Christ. They lead you to moral behavior. I can make you feel bad here this morning. I can make you feel bad later. James can make you feel bad. And in this room can make you feel bad about a behavior that may be hurting other people. But modifying your behavior is not what the Lord's looking for. That doesn't didn't get us anywhere. Our problem is we don't feel the weight of our own sin. God says the sin of favoritism and prejudice, it breaks the law. And he uses adultery and murder as examples. He doesn't go down and find the other laws like stealing and lying in the Ten Commandments. He uses murder and adultery. Why? Because he knows those are the biggies in human perspective. Oh, I ain't kill anybody. I'm not running around with my spouse. I just treat people who don't look like me like dirt. God says, well, listen, if we're going to go over to that side, So I got grace over here, but if we're going to go back over here to the law side, uh, murder, adultery, prejudice, discrimination, if you break one of those, you break them all. The weight of your sin is the same. So if we're comparing, if we're making lists of what you have and have not done, the weight is the same. That's where we are. Behavior modification is not the goal. It's not about doing better. Hey, let's go hang out with some homeless people to improve our moral standing. I'm being a little facetious, but why are you hanging out with homeless people? Is it for your glory or for his? Let's talk about how many friends we have that don't look like us. That's one of my favorites. Oh, yeah, I like black people. I have lots of friends who are black. Guys, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, especially living in the South. I mean, good grief, over and over and over again. But it makes us feel better about the fact that none of them come to our church and that we've never been in any of their homes. Oh, yeah, we're friends. Okay, what's her daughter's name? Ah, um, I'll get back to you. Yeah, I really like the Mexican guy living down the street. What's his name? I don't know. Okay. How do you know he's Mexican? <laughs> he may be Puerto Rican. That's my favorite. I'm sure the Puerto Ricans love it as well. Yeah, a Mexican guy. He's Puerto Rican, man. He's from Colombia. He's he's not never mind. I know he speaks with a Spanish accent. James says, because Christ has made us free, we must live like free people. And show mercy like those who have been shown immeasurable mercy. That's what God has done for us. We must allow the gospel of freedom to infiltrate our hearts and to change us. And then that changes our minds, and then that changes our actions, and then that changes our families, and then our churches, and then our communities. But it starts with allowing the Holy Spirit to make you different in regard to how you treat people. We have to adopt God's view and then that alters our perspective. We then become more proud of what Christ has done in us than what we've done.